1: All right, we've been waiting for this pretty much all year. It's Florida-Georgia week, world's largest cocktail party, of course, in Jacksonville. And the guy who will be bringing us the game for the Tampa Bay Times is our college football writer, Matt Baker, who joins us now. Matt, this is what I got out of the Dan Mullen press conference. Reading this from uh, your various tweets and reports, the Gators will be playing a quarterback. That's news, I suppose. They're not going to be in the Wildcat. (laughs) What do we know about this?
2: we know that they are going to be playing a quarterback <clears throat> that's <laughs> about it um and honestly i don't expect to, dan to say much else um yeah you know they're still in this emory jones anthony richardson what are they going to do um i i went back kind of into dan's history and i'll have this later on tampa bay.com but kind of try and get a little bit more between the lines here um in 2013 uh, Dan had, uh, uh, Tyler Russell as kind of the, the main quarterback, at least to start the year at Mississippi state. He had a, a young up and comer named Dak Prescott. You might've heard of him. Mm. And, and it was interesting because there were some similarities between, between this, where some of the fans wanted Dak to play and Dan started Tyler Russell and, you know, up against in the, the LSU game that week, Dan or that year, uh, Mullen said that Tyler's going to start then lo and behold, uh, pregame introductions. They name eleven guys starting on offense and do not name a quarterback. Mm. And it's not until fifteen minutes before the game, according to the, the Clarion Ledger out there, that they announced on the loudspeaker that uh, Dak was going to start. And he started that game. Uh, Tyler Russell played as well. Then the next week, Tyler Russell started, but Dak came off the bench and and played as well. And you know Dan's thing is it's not about who starts; it's who finishes. And you know you look at what he's done over the years. I think there's a lot of truth to that. It's it's about you know seeing how the game progresses, who's kind of got the hot hand and going accordingly. And in the 13th season, uh, Dak, when he was healthy, had the hot hand and, and played kind of when it mattered the most. Um, so I would expect that to be the case Saturday against Georgia. I, I don't know if it's going to be Emory or Anthony, but I think both of them will play. And, and and you know we'll see just how it progresses in terms of who ends up playing down the stretch. And the other thing to remember too. Let's go back to the 2018 Georgia game. Um, The whole talk going into it, I've talked about it on this podcast before, if I remember right, the whole talk going into it was uh, whether Georgia was going to bench Jake Fromm to put in Justin Fields. Uh, They they didn't. But Mullen decided, we're going to give Emory Jones some snaps. And and Emory played a dozen plays, 10 plays, whatever it was. Didn't do a ton. I think he rushed four times for 12 yards, had this glorious, incomplete, pass uh, on that drew a defensive pass interference call. And that was about it. But that's kind of, I think that's kind of indicative of what to expect. So I'm, I don't know what exactly will be different, but I'm expecting there to be some sort of wrinkles with the quarterback position on Saturday. And no, I don't expect it to be all Anthony Richardson, no Emory Jones or vice versa.
1: Yeah, there's no question. I I agree with you. I think we'll probably see them both in in, in certain times of the game um, and hot hand is is one way to go. But let me just ask you this: If, as you you know, you kind of close your eyes and try to imagine ways that Florida beats Georgia, okay? Uh-huh. As great as Georgia is with that terrific defense, um, we're not sure about their quarterback situation—whether JT Daniels is all the way back or they're going to continue with Stetson Bennett, which obviously will be a factor in the game too. But wouldn't it require, in my mind anyway, something special to happen? Um, probably on offense, uh, you know, playmaking for sure for the Gators to win. In other words, do they win without Anthony Richardson playing a big role in this game?
2: I don't think they do, but Mullen knows these guys better than we do. Right? We we no, we've, we've
1: we've seen we've seen seven <laughs> no. games. No, clearly we know more. <laughs> <laughs> if we knew I'm not more, giving up be, that real estate. Yeah.
2: Uh, if we knew more, then we'd be making a lot more money as coaches somewhere instead of writing about it. Um, Probably. But, look, Dan sees these guys all the time, and he has forgotten more about quarterbacks than I know. I, I, I understand this. There must be something we're missing, and, and, and it might be just what he sees in practice where Anthony Richardson – I mean, Dan has more or less said it doesn't quite understand all of the playbook or it's not always translating on the field. At least that's what he said early in the season that there's yeah. stuff that he's missing. And you no, know, we, we only have a limited sample size, right. Uh, of those seven games and a couple of those Anthony Richardson didn't play because he was hurt. Right, And and two of those were against FAU and USF. So take that for what it's worth. So I think if I'm reading between the lines here, and again, this is, this is more or less educated speculation, Richardson's got a lot to, a lot more to learn and a lot of more room to grow here. And yes, you can look at it and say, well, he's going to have to make these spectacular plays if Florida's going to win. The other side is there's a risk with it too, right? If you go out and try and make spectacular plays or you don't understand things properly or you're more limited in the plays that you can do, then there's a higher risk that you're going to make a mistake that can cost your team too. So that's kind of the the trade off that I think Mullen's having to weigh here. Now, yeah, I think you're exactly right though. The the key to beating you're not going to beat Georgia running for f- for four yards of play. That, that's not going to happen. You're not going to dink and dunk your way to beating Georgia. They're too good. Eventually, they're going to stop you. Th- those guys out front are absolute monsters. You, you're not going to beat them that way. If you beat them, you're going to have to trick them. Or you're going to have to make some just ridiculous, spectacular plays the way we've seen Richardson do in the past, but with his army and, and with his feet. So that's just kind of the, the trade-off. Where I think, you know, if it were me, I would, based on what I know, I would go with Richardson because it's a higher risk, high reward kind of situation. Because you're not just going to line up and beat Georgia. You're not. They are way more talented defensively and just all across the field. So you're going to have to, to some degree, look into something, and, and I think make your own luck as well.
1: You know, the thing I've been impressed about um, with Georgia when I watch them, obviously their defense is is uh, phenomenal, I think. But, you know, they've been doing a good bit of this without their starting quarterback. We mentioned we don't know exactly mm-hmm. what the status of Daniels will be. Stetson Bennett uh, isn't asked to do a lot, but when he does, he's fairly accurate. They, they certainly play within his limitations. And we've talked about Todd Munkin as a play caller. But you know what they do? They line up and they beat you at the line of scrimmage and, and, and they run the football downhill. So, uh, Georgia always seems to have come up with great running backs, right? Um, so, defensively, that's got to be job one, right? How have the Gators fared against teams that, that uh, like to run the football?
2: Uh, well, would they give up 321 to LSU in the last game?
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, that's kind of where I was headed. So, yeah, yeah.
2: Um, they haven't, they haven't fared well. Um, And Georgia, you're right. I mean, they've got one of the best backfields in the country with, you know, James Cook is, is, uh, is, is very talented. They've got players there. You, you mentioned Stetson Bennett. Let's talk about the quarterback situation just for a second. Georgia's kind of, the question I had going into the season on them was the receiving core. And they're not, it's not the strength of the team by any means, but they're, again, they're, they're absolutely loaded. They're, one of the two most team, talented teams in the country, but the receivers aren't great. Um, but Cesson Bennett, look, he's got 11 touchdowns and two, inter, and two interceptions. You you take that. I, I mean, that's, yeah. that's 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 pr- that's impressive considering. I mean, just the way he was last year, uh, mm-hmm. five of 16 for 78 yards against the Gators, mm-hmm. where there were times that game between him and and, and Mathis. You know, JT Daniels, uh, if you don't remember, was out last year in, in this game and recovered mm-hmm. from his injury. Uh, the, the new thing it was a week or two later, and then Georgia became a different team. There were times last year when Munkin had guys, he schemed up guys open downfield. And if Georgia had a competent had competent quarterback play against Florida and Jacksonville, maybe things would have been different. Maybe maybe they wouldn't, I don't know. But there there were plays to be made. They just didn't have a quarterback who could make them for whatever reason. And what we've seen out of Setson Bennett so far is he does not look like the quarterback that went 5 of 16 against the Gators last year. He looks like a much better player who's developed into a more than capable starter in the SEC who has Georgia number one in the country right now.
1: Yeah, you're right about that. So tell me, um, you know, upsets is what we've gotten used to in college football. There's been a, certainly a number of them this year already. Nothing would turn around the the, the fortunes of the Gators' season uh, as as bleak as it has been to this point. Than beating the number one team in the country, pain a scenario for me. How can this happen how how can How can they go to Jacksonville with that atmosphere, a unique one, right with with half the fans from one side and the other half from the other? How can they pull this off?
2: They're going to need a big play early. Um, I, I'm not mm. a huge believer in momentum, but I think in some cases in college, and, and particularly when you're team playing a team of Georgia's caliber. I think you need something good to happen early to give you a little, uh, to give you a spark and make you think that you can do it. Right. I think they're going to need to win on turnovers, and that, that's one of the things coaches point to every week, right? But I right. think when you're playing a team that is considerably more talented, and let's face it, Georgia is considerably more talented than Florida is, you're, you're going to need to not make mistakes and force some turnovers. Um, I think they, I think a big play on special teams would, would be very helpful. Um, I don't know if that's a blocked kick. I don't know if that's a fake punt, which Mullen has shown in the past that he's he's willing to do. I don't know if it's a surprise onside kick. Yeah. But something like that to either steal points or steal a possession away from Georgia.
1: Yeah. And then
2: it's it's going to be what is the the big tactical adjustment. You know, last year they were able to beat Georgia because they wheel-routed them to death. Um, They had like 206 passing yards or something like that on the wheel routes, either the running backs or or tight ends just beat them over and over again. And and Georgia was unable to stop it. So I don't know what that is this week. I'm not smart enough, smart enough mind to figure out what the weakness is, but I mean, Georgia's defense probably has something and Mullen uh, and his staff, I think are going to figure out what it is and try to attack it just a matter of how quickly Georgia can adjust and, if Mullen's able to scheme enough to to somehow spring an upset here,
1: yeah, it's a, it, look. It's a fascinating game. It's been an interesting season for Florida. I, I I'm not very confident they're going to pull this off. It would be a monumental win if they did it for Dan Mullen, and like I said, could potentially save their season, maybe boost them the rest of the way. But as it as it stands, if you're you know if you play the odds, it looks like they could go to five hundred right on the year this late, which would which would not be a good place to be.
2: This is a this is big for this year. I mean, I think to to some degree that the season's already a failure. Right. The, yeah, the goal yeah. is to win championships. They're not going to win a championship. Sure. But but if you beat Georgia, I don't I don't know that you call it a failure. Right. You know you you can salvage success from it. I guess and, and really, let, let's let's you know look through this through the prism of a UF fan, right? They're not. They're not going to win the East. They're not going to go to a big bowl. The season's over. Right. So let's look long term. This is a big game for Mullen. It's not the biggest game of his career. You know, he he had the number one team in the country. He, he coached in the SEC championship. Was it ten months ago or whatever? This, sure. Those sure. were bigger games. But in terms of kind of his trajectory, this is huge. I mean, it, if if he is able to beat Georgia. Mm-hmm. and win two in a row against, against this juggernaut. That's going to buy him some stock. That's going to buy him yeah, yeah. some time. Um, I think that will help in recruiting. You know, mm-hmm. Recruits look a lot more at this just one win and one loss, but that's something tangible he can point to on the recruiting trail as they try and close what so far is an unimpressive class. I think they're 34th fourth in the country nationally on rivals, which is obviously nowhere near good enough. The other side of it is... If they lose, and we're talking another four loss season, two in a row. Again, I don't think Mullen's job is in danger this year, unless they lose to South Carolina, Missouri, or Florida State, then we can we can have a different conversation. But I think if he goes eight and four again this year, depending on the bowl, next year we're actually absolutely talking about him as a hot seat guy going in make or break twenty twenty two season. So but if he's able to beat Georgia, then then, then the, the temperature is a little bit different. So that's why this is so big. And honestly, I, I wrote this on TampaBay.com. This is a kind of a referendum on Mullen, not on Mullen, but on his approach. You know, he's been adamant, we, we don't need to chase recruiting stars. We go after our guys, what have you. Well, he's, he's lost four of his last five against teams that have more talent, according to 24-7. At a certain point, you have to realize what the flaw is. And you can point to the close losses. Oh, if we had made an extra point against Alabama. Oh, if we had made an in-game adjustment against LSU on the run defense, on the counter play. Oh, if this or that. But at a certain point, the other guys are making the plays all the time. And why are they making the plays? Part of it's because, I've said this before on this show, they got better dudes. And the team with better dudes usually wins. And my th- thought process is if, if mullen can't scheme his way to a win against georgia it's going to be another point that says this approach is not working he can be the greatest x's and o's coach in college football but if georgia and alabama and lsu and texas a&m consistently have better dudes than florida the gap is going to remain and they're going to have this new year's six ceiling so i think this is the last chance to, to me at least for mullen to show that his approach can work if not it's going to be pretty clear that they're going to have to make adjustments to to land more of those five stars that he's not getting right now.
1: Yeah, Talon, it certainly wins in uh, all football, but certainly in college football. Speaking of how one win can kind of t- change the temperature a little bit, USF tonight plays East Carolina. The Bulls finally get their win against Temple, a resounding one at that. Um, unfortunate they lost to Tulsa, but they bounce back, so – uh, if they could make it two in a row here, that that would certainly make things a lot easier for uh, Coach Scott at this point.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, th- the unfortunate thing for USF is this is not a the the East Carolina of, of recent history. You know, they, they had been excuse me, they, they had kind of fallen on rough times after uh, it's a bad pun after um, getting rid of Ruffin McNeil, which kind of surprised a lot of people. Um, but this year, no, they're they're three and four again. That's not great, but you look and they're they're showing progress. East Carolina is, um, and they're I think they're kind of a step ahead of of where USF is right now. Look, let's not let's go back to the the Bulls win over Temple. That's not something that should be taken for granted because USF is not in a good position right now. They're they're not. Um, but for them to run the ball the way they did to go out and finally get one in the win column is huge for for usf and you know i i would expect uh east carolina to win uh to win tonight and and to beat the bulls but the bulls at least f- should feel better about where they are right now and where they're going after finally getting one
1: yeah you do and i i think a lot of it too is just how the players respond week to week and and they're still responding to his coaching and um you know to to bury a, a tough loss like that against uh you know against Tulsa and come back with a win um, th- those were rough weeks and uh, certainly if they were able to pull this off um, they'd have some momentum and it would it would say a lot about which way the program is headed um, look Florida State is the team that all of a sudden looks like they got their act together now UMass was not a great test obviously no. but you know what they did what you're supposed to do to UMass right they dominated them on the scoreboard and on the field now they go to a, a place that oh for the last you know half dozen years or so has been you know the kingpins of college football but in a down year this year for Clemson still beating Clemson I think in the ACC would be huge for Florida State and this is not a great Clemson team they've had trouble at quarterback um, so what do you what do you make of this matchup
2: well you you mentioned Clemson having trouble at quarterback they're, they're having trouble all over on offense that's true
1: um, that's true
2: I, I think last year this is going to sound almost silly we we took it for granted that they were going to be good because they had Trevor Lawrence and Travis ETN. Etienne, Etienne I, he was awesome. And I think this year we're, we're, you know, now, now that Clemson doesn't have it, have him, it's showing how impressive he was. I mean, he's one of the better running backs of my lifetime, I think. And I, I think we, we didn't appreciate him fully uh, until he was gone just because he was that electric and that dynamic. And, could make so many people miss and make up for an offensive line that wasn't very good. Um, DJ, we, has not progressed at quarterback. It, it, it's an offense. That's not very good. And I want to tie this into USF for a second. I wonder if Jeff Scott is yeah. a big reason why, I mean, I, you, you look at the disagree, receivers yeah. Clemson mm-hmm. produced there for a while, with Mike Williams, and Artavia Scott had all those catches and Ray, Ray McLeod mm-hmm. and Dion Kane. And, mm-hmm. uh, um, um, Sammy Watkins and all those guys, I'm sure I'm leaving people out. They had receiver after receiver after receiver, who were just dudes, and they don't this year, and you know some of it can be that you're going to regress it. It happens sometimes the four stars don't pan out um not everybody's going to develop into a T Higgins or whatever, but I also wonder if some of it's Jeff Scott, who was the receiver's coach, did a great job of coaching those guys up and developing them into. Ray Ray McLeod and and Dion Kane, who was a high school quarterback and became a very productive receiver, and T Higgins and all those guys. So, you know that's that's part of it that I don't think we've talked about enough, or at least ha- nationally hasn't been talked enough about. Um, in, in terms of this game, FSU has a chance. That is not something that I thought I would say two weeks into the season. Um, Clemson's offense is yeah. not good. And I was, you know, I kept him yeah. on my top 25 ballot until this past sun, uh, Saturday, Sunday morning, whatever, just because I thought eventually they'd figure it out. There's so much talent. This is an, an elite defense. Surely they will figure it out. Surely they would figure it out. But look, look at the results after the first two weeks. Beat Georgia Tech 14 day, That's not very good. Lost double overtime to North Carolina State. Beat Boston College 19-13. Not very good. Beat Syracuse in their hot seat coach seventeen to fourteen not very good, then losing at Pitt by, by ten. That you are at a certain point who who you who your record says you are and just who you are. That the potential if it's there it hasn't shown up halfway through the season at this point. So I don't know that it's going to. I think this is just who Clemson is this year, which is a middling program in a middling conference. And the good news for FSU is. I think they've elevated themselves this year. I don't mean this as a joke, but they've elevated themselves the last couple weeks to that middling status, to where I think Florida State has a puncher's chance against Clemson. I'm not saying they're going to win. and Clemson's won 31 in a row at home for a reason. But I think there's a chance, and it's reasonable at this point, for FSU fans to expect the game to be competitive. And I did not think I would be saying that in September.
1: Yeah, things change quickly, and and for both programs there, and and this this will be one that I'll definitely be watching um, on Saturday. So Miami is at Pitt. You're a big buyer, I was told before the podcast of the Pitt Panthers, right?
2: I am. I'm surprised, but but I am. You know they they had the loss to Western Michigan earlier this year in a high scoring game, and after that I was like, okay, these guys these guys stink. They're whatever they're doing is smoking and mirrors. They keep piling up good performances, and Kenny Pickett is a legitimate Heisman candidate, potential first-round quarterback. I'm, I don't, I can't explain it other than the fact that the ACC Coastal does weird things, and every now and then you have the the things kind of fall your way, and we're seeing that right now at Pitt. But yes, I am a buyer in Pitt.
1: It's very interesting. It has been a while since we could say that. Um, great games this this Saturday all across the country. Uh, my favorite is probably going to be Michigan at Michigan State. Man, I when was you probably know this the last time these teams were undefeated when they faced each other, if ever. But um, this is going to tell me something uh, uh, I think about Michigan more than Michigan. I mean, Michigan State has done a terrific job, and I don't I I don't know where they fit in your poll or the national p- picture or any of that. But I'm intrigued by this matchup, and, and of course, we know the Michigan schedule gets tougher with Ohio State still on it and all of that. Um, I'm telling you, this is going to be a run fest. First and foremost, uh, team with the ball last, maybe. Yeah,
2: maybe. I, I'm still. I'm buying Pitt, but I'm not buying Michigan yet. Yeah, um I just. I understand. Look, look. They've 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 done what they're supposed to do. They're seven and zero. That's not to be taken for granted. Good for them. But I need to see them beat somebody good. Yes. Because I mean, it's not—it's not their fault. They, they play who they who's on their schedule. It's not their fault that Washington is is god awful. It's not their fault that Wisconsin's not the Wisconsin that we're used to. It's not their fault that Scott Frost says Nebraska in a rut still. And but they they won those games. I just before I can really buy them as a contender for the playoff, as somebody who might have a chance of beating Ohio State, I need to see them beat some good teams. And Michigan State is at least a good team, if not a very good team um mel tucker did has done a great job through the transfer portal getting guys like kenneth walker the running back from wake forest who's one of the better players in the country this year um i mean uh, mel tucker is maybe the national coach of the year at this point at least in that conversation there's a reason he's getting mentioned as a potential candidate at lsu um, because he's done such a good job so and, and, and Michigan, you know, let's face it: what Harbaugh's done over the years has not done enough to inspire confidence that he's going to have an elite team that can can make the playoff and beat Ohio State because it hasn't happened. So before I buy into Michigan more, I need to see them beat a good team, and that's the opportunity ahead of them Saturday against the Spartans.
1: Well, I would have said this game a couple weekends ago would have been a premier game, and I guess it is some somewhat in the Big Ten, but Penn State and Ohio State. Uh, phew. Nine overtime loss. Ooh, bad loss to Illinois. James Franklin, great recruiter. I say the worst game day coach in America. That's a personal opinion, not reflective of the Tampa Bay Times or their college football writer in general. Um, But look out for the Buckeyes. I don't know if people just thought, well, they lost to Oregon. Listen, they're starting to get that look again, aren't they?
2: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely they are. Uh, Look at this. Last what uh, five games. 41, 59, 52, 66, 54. That, that's how many points the Buckeyes have put up. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if I were, if I had to put money on playoff teams right now, I would put Ohio State on there. Um, yeah. Yeah. I've got him fifth on my AP poll behind Oregon. Okay. And that's, it just, look, Oregon won on the field, but if they played, so like, you, I'm, you know, I put a lot of stock in that because it happened. It was a thing. It, yeah. it happened in the horseshoe. Um, but if they played, Tomorrow at Gaither High School, I would pick Ohio State probably by double digits. Uh, you know, Ohio State had a young, new quarterback in C.J. Stroud. Sometimes it takes young, new quarterbacks a little bit to figure it out. And sure. uh, by the results of it, I'd say he figured it out. <laughs> so, yeah, and, and Penn State, I don't know about – I'd have to really think about worst game day coach in the country. Um, but th- <laughs> that was that was bad
1: look that was so
2: bad the other day i was watching it with my four-year-old and he was as incredulous (laughs) as i was that they were so both teams were so incompetent at (laughs) two-point conversions it was it was one of the best bad games i've ever seen (laughs) just you're like some somebody like you're it's three yards how can you not do this how are you You missing open guys and, and, and dropping balls? And, and it was just – it was painful to watch. And there's no reason – look, I mean, you can look at it and say, yeah, Penn State lost in nine overtimes. It's kind of fluky or whatever. Illinois is not good. Penn State should no. be much better than that. So, um, yeah, yeah. Penn State – look, I know there's a lot of luster and buzz around James Franklin because he's a, he's a passionate guy. Um mm-hmm. He can carry a room. Uh he, he's a he's a very good recruiter, all that stuff. There's a reason he hired Jimmy Sexton this offseason. And there's a reason that USC and LSU are both potential landing spots for him if he wants out. There's a reason FSU kicked the tires on him a couple years ago and all that stuff. But losing to Illinois, dude, that ain't it.
1: Mm, mm. No, no, that that's bad on the resume, but he is he is mentioned for every job. Including USC where we know Mike Tomlin won't be going anytime soon. So no, uh, that, that's, that's
2: p- how you would do it in a d- denial, Rick. Yeah. You know, I, was... I I've 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 heard people and asked you know, se- seen people ask, why do you why do you ask a coach about another job? Why do you do that? They never say anything, it's not no good is gonna come of it. No, I believe me, I asked Jimbo at least once, probably a couple of different times, about other jobs over the years. I can't remember how many times. But you don't know what they're going to say. And the case in point is Mike Tomlin there where he made it abundantly clear, the speculation is stupid speculation, no, period. Move on. Yeah. And that, that's how you end it. James Franklin does not do that because, uh, I mean, I can guess some of it is never say never. Some of it is when your name is out there, then other opportunities can come your way or uh, you can get raises, uh, like what happened a couple of years ago when FSU had interest. Um, you know, that sort of thing. But w- why do you ask? That is why you ask. Because Mike Tomlin said, can say, Never say never, but never. There's not enough booster checks in the world.
1: (laughs) Which I disagree with because there's always enough booster checks. Um, That's usually not the problem. All right, we'll get you out on this one as far as matchups goes. Uh, I still enjoy Ole Miss. I I love the lane train. Auburn has had some nice surprising wins. This is always a good game, isn't it?
2: It is, and uh, Ole Miss is just a, they're just fun to watch. Matt Corral is an exciting player, one of the most exciting in the country. Can yeah. run, can pass. Lane Kiffin, you never know what you're going to get, except I think it's fair to expect points when they're not playing anybody but Alabama. Um, Auburn's a, just one of those teams I can never really figure out. Um, it, they've, you know, Bo Nicks has been kind of up and down throughout his career, um, but they obviously have talent and, you know, beat Arkansas in their last game. The, the other interesting thing on Auburn going forward, um, Auburn recently added a, uh, a vaccine mandate, um, kind of like what Washington State has. Brian Harson, the, the head coach at Auburn, has I believe he has not said whether he's vaccinated, said, I'm not going to say that. That just leads into the possibility that there could be a Washington State type thing, like what happened with Nick Rolovich there, where there's questions about whether he's gotten the vaccine. Is he going to get the vaccine? What happens if he doesn't? Can they really get rid of this guy? And you know, on the national scene, what happened with Rolovich in Washington State got a lot of attention, as it should have, because it was a only in 2021 type thing with a Power 5 school. If that happens in the SEC at Auburn, it's going to be insane. Uh, Auburn is the, uh, not exactly a school known for being uh, rational about anything, especially the fan base and boosters.
1: Yeah, I I would agree I would agree with you there. Okay, so you're headed up to uh, Jacksonville. Do you take the route through Stark? Do you go uh, uh how do you how do you head up there? What's your favorite what's your favorite way from uh, Tampa Bay?
2: Yeah, yeah, I go go up through through Stark. I uh when the speed limit goes down to 45 and 35 or whatever, I make sure I am going exactly 45 <laughs> and 35 or whatever uh yeah. through Waldo and whatever. Um Yeah. I I don't remember if I've told you a story on this podcast before, um, but our, our buddy and, and former colleague, Martin Finley had never been to a huddle house before. Oh. And there's a huddle house somewhere on, was that 301? Mm-hmm. And uh, one morning on the way up there, we made sure to eat at it just because he had never been. And he was so unimpressed. He could not <laughs> have been more unimpressed with the huddle house. Uh, I, I don't know what he was expecting. If he was expecting a Shoney's and he got a, a Waffle House or, or, or what? Um, but I will. when I drive by, I always think about Martin. I also always think <laughs> about uh, having our, our uh, waffle and, and omelets or whatever at the Huddle House and seeing a, something on Twitter about uh, some conversations already starting about Jim McElwain and a buyout. Oh, boy. And, uh, you know what happened 24 hours later.
1: Yes, indeed. Yeah. No. Hey. Sometimes those stories drop at the worst times, and in this case, you were at the Huddle House, filing away. I'm sure. Uh, well, he's Matt Baker. He's going to be at Florida Georgia, and it's going to be a uh, an interesting game for the Gators and and against the number one team in the country. That's always uh, good watching. So check him out in TampaBay.com and on the in the Tampa Bay Times. Thanks, Matt. Sure. Thanks, Rick.
2: So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash
0: switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
1: All right, the big news. Uh, Steve, you know this, and not much of a surprise, maybe the length of the time is. Nikita Kucherov, the Lightning announced, has had surgery, lower body injury, out 8 to 10 weeks that would put that him
0: uh, what mid January to late January, early February. And now the NHL has that three week break in February mm. uh, for the All Star Game and then the Olympics. Now Nikita would like to participate in the Olympics. I don't know if he'll be back in time for that and how that works. Um, you know, if the Lightning want to slow play, maybe they don't bring him back till after the Olympics, which would be late February then. Uh, but i'm sure he'll be pushing to get back sooner and, and try to help out in mid to late january i mean he had a procedure on tuesday so um yeah you know it, it's it's going to end up being what 12 to 10 to 12 weeks which was right around that 3 month timeline as we were speculating when it happens so um. if he's
1: not back with the lightning before the olympics would you then allow him to play i don't know if they can stop him i don't i don't think
0: him? i don't think they can stop him um mm. i it's it's possible there's something that if you didn't play the game before if you're hurt going in you can't i I don't know um i think the players are paying for the insurance on the the olympics if something happens in that so um mm. i don't know if you could stop them i don't I, I don't i to be honest i don't know the rules well enough on that so it was this was all negotiated during the bubble that the players wanted in the olympics and that was part of the new cba agreement so
1: well, that's really interesting. Turning to baseball, congratulations to Nelson Cruz. He's won the Roberto Clemente Award. Uh, this is akin to what the Walter Payton Award is in football. I mean, this is for community service and and one that's uh, that's very coveted.
0: Yeah, it's for generosity and humanitarian efforts. Uh, that He's very active in, in his home club markets, plus in his home of the Dominican Republic. So yeah. he's been nominated a couple times in the past. Uh, this year, he was actually the Twins nominee this year. Ryan yeah. Yarbrough was the Rays nominee because mm-hmm. the nominations went in before the trade and it ends up the the Rays had two nominees on their roster by the end of the year. But uh, right. very well-deserved for Nelson Cruz, who's always been one of those players who, who goes above and beyond in giving back.
1: Yeah, it's terrific. He's a good guy. And my favorite pitcher that the Rays did not retain, Charlie F. Morton, went out there and uh, hurled a pretty good gem for the Atlanta Braves in Game 1 of the World Series. They get the win more impressively – he pitched on a broken leg. he got three outs including a couple of strikeouts, and it turns out that that leg was uh, suffered a fracture.
0: Yeah, broken fibula. he's out of the World Series now they've replaced him on the roster, uh, but he uh, went out, did his job, got hit on the ankle or obviously the fibula, and still continued to pitch, which is just amazing. I think he got out of that inning, sat down and went back out. Uh, just in, I mean now that, now he's really earned Charlie F. Morton.
1: <laughs> yeah, he has. And listen, all I remember is, uh, you know, way back in the day, uh, the Red Sox and um, the bloody sock, right? Yeah, it Kurt was Schilling. all about Curt Schilling. Kurt Schilling, yep. Schilling and, and I don't know if Tim McCarver was calling the game. It seems like he was because he would just beat it to death. The bloody sock. Look at the blood on the sock. Well, listen, this is way more impressive to me. The dude went out with a broken leg and was hurling and striking dudes out and throwing 94, 95 miles an hour.
0: That's just incredible, man. Uh and it's, and it's a shame for him because, I mean, you oh, know, you're back in the World breaking. Series. And, you yeah. Know, now, the Braves were taping this before Wednesday night's Game 2, So, but they have a one nothing lead. They got the, the victory on the road
1: uh, in yeah. Game 1. So. Home field advantage is yeah. theirs now, yeah. Mm-hmm. But lots yeah, of former terrific.
0: Rays in the series, too. I mean, you saw Travis Darnot. You saw mm-hmm. for the Astros, you had Jacob Odorizzi and Ryan Stanek and – yeah. So just Rays all over the place.
1: Yeah, well, and you know, uh a good reason why, too. Find a lot of good players that uh and and coaches and managers in front offices mm-hmm. uh that the Rays have produced all the way around. All right, so tomorrow we'll get you ready for the uh Bucks at Saints. This is gonna be an unbelievable, important, unbelievably important matchup in the NFC South, of course. Jameis Winston against his former team. He's starting this time. He came in through a pass for a touchdown in the playoff game. We had a chance to talk to some of the players about going up against Jameis as well as Bruce Bruce Arians. Uh, and, uh, of course, the, the big challenge is that Saints defense where they have not fared well with the exception of the playoff game. And that's the one that counted, right, because it got them all the way to the Super Bowl. But turnovers have been the big story in this series no matter who wins those games. And it will be again, so we'll get you ready for that on tomorrow's Cup Podcast. So thanks for listening. Hope you guys uh, enjoy it. We'll be back tomorrow. For Steve Burstyn, Gun McStroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody.
0: Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time.